Welcome to our weekly Catechism class. This lesson is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now, let's start the class and learn the lessons. Welcome to our Catechism class. In this podcast, we're going to be looking at Lord's Day 12 in the Heidelberg Catechism, question 32, which asks, why are you called a Christian? And the answer we must give is because I am a member of Christ by faith, and thus share in his anointing, so that I may, as prophet, confess his name, as priest, present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and as king, fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and hereafter reign with him eternally over all creatures. Have you noticed that the name Christian has almost become a pejorative term? It's like a bad word of recent days, and maybe not just in recent days too. I think that's been the case from the days of the very first followers of Jesus. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 25, we read these historical words. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul, verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him back unto Antioch, And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So right from the early days, we've been called Christians. And what rude words have you heard when people talk about Christians? Bible bashers, Bible thumpers, fundies, God-botherers. Holy Rollers, Rednecks, Happy Clappies, The God Squad. I had occasion once, or maybe even more than once, to complain to the BBC about their bias against biblical Christianity. On one occasion, a woman journalist was on Talkback, referring to Christians who disagreed with her in some so-called moral change as Bible bashers. I was so cross that I phoned the BBC right away to complain. She wouldn't speak like that about Muslims would never even dream about using a term such as that. Some people will actually hate you just simply for being a Christian, for following Jesus. There's no surprise there, of course. The actual word Christian, as used in Acts chapter 11, was actually originally a slur. So today we're going to ask, what does it mean to call yourself a Christian? Stay with me and we'll learn together from the Heidelberg Catechism. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast.
Our instructor in the Catechism describes what it means to be a Christian in three respects. Firstly, he speaks about the basis of my relationship with Christ and the responsibilities that this relationship places upon me. And then, finally, he talks about my eternal reward in Christ. Let's firstly look at my relationship with our Lord Jesus as a Christian. In Antioch, where Christians were first so-called, the word Christian was a jest, it was a mockery, or a jibe, or a joke. Christians thought of themselves as believers in Christ, as his disciples, his followers, as the saints, as brothers and sisters. At Antioch, they're called Christians. And the name stuck, and the believers readily took upon themselves the name of Christ and wore it as a badge of honour. People would later be arrested and charged and executed simply for owning that name, simply for confessing to being a Christian. In a more theological sense, the word Christian describes some great truths about the Christian's spiritual status in Christ. Look at how our catechist describes this for us. He says that as a Christian, I am a member of Christ. Now notice that he doesn't say that being a Christian is about being a member of a church. There are lots of people who think they are Christians just because they belong to a church, because they have been baptised, or because they have their names written somewhere in a church rule book, or that they attend weekly services. A girl once told me that her mother attended Mass in the local Catholic church every single day of the week, in the hope that she would be good enough to get to heaven. Nothing like that will make you a Christian. Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1 he said, Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. To be a Christian is to be in Christ, to be part of his elect, to have him indwelling us through his Holy Spirit. Years ago when I was a teenager, my father, who was not a believer, would have taken great delight in mocking Christianity, mocking Christians, and even mocking Christ himself. One day, he poked his finger at me, and he said, So if he's risen from the dead, where's this Jesus of yours now, eh? I suppose my mother must have tried to pour some oil on troubled waters. She rubbed my teenage chest and said, He's in here, isn't he, son? Being me, my reply was, Well, Probably not. He's he's seated at the right hand of the Father from where he will one day return to judge the world. But the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is dwelling in here. It just made the situation even worse. Although there was a certain element of truth in her defence. Colossians 1 and verse 27 talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. We are in Christ, and yet simultaneously Christ is in us. And that is the work of God the Father in election, chasing us, bringing us to Christ, pursuing us, ordaining us to be part of Christ's body, the invisible church, and the Holy Spirit within us as the representative of God within our individual souls. So what does it mean to be a member of Christ? Well, what is the basis of our relationship? The instructor in the catechism is always very careful in his wording. He adds that our entry into Christ's body, the invisible church, is by faith. He doesn't need to add anything more to that. It's only by faith that we can enter. 
Romans chapter 5 and verse 2 says, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And then there's the dynamics of that relationship between us and Christ. Our catechist says, I share in his anointing. In our last catechism class, we talked about anointing and what it was. Being a Christian is new life. It's not just an intellectual assent, it's a relationship. It's an exchange of our sin for his righteousness. It's having a new heart. If anyone is in Christ, he is a completely new creation. Just as Christ was uniquely anointed by the Holy Spirit, so we experience that anointing too, albeit in a different manner. Working within us, drawing us to God, regenerating us, implanting that faith with which we appropriate Christ's saving work, sanctifying us. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 17, Peter quotes the words of Joel the prophet. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. The Holy Spirit giving us a dynamic relationship with our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. First John chapter 2 and verse 27 But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. The indwelling Holy Spirit teaches us, empowers us, comforts us, convicts us of our sins. It's a dynamic relationship with the Saviour through the work of the Holy Spirit. So you can see from what our catechist teaches, that to be called a Christian, a true Christian, is a wonderful thing indeed. It's more than just a name. It's more than just a cultural designation. To be a Christian is to be part of the elect people of the triune God. To be chosen by the Father. To be adopted into his family and kingdom. To be brought into Christ. To be in a living relationship with Jesus. To know his love and to love him in return to rest and trust in him by faith and to be infilled with his Holy Spirit who convicts us and regenerates us and sanctifies us and anoints us for service. Being a Christian has consequences. The Christian life is a life of discipleship. It's living for Christ. It's becoming more like him. But what does it mean to be like Christ? After all, we're not at all like him. He was perfect and sinless, and we are persistent sinners who need to live a life of humble repentance. We won't be truly like him until we go to be with him in glory. 
So how can we be Christ-like in this world? Well, the Catechist helps us, as usual, with a very practical explanation of this enigma. And he gives us a method of application. In our last lesson, we learned of the three offices of Christ as prophet and priest and king. And our instructor suggests that to be like Jesus in this life, we too must fulfil those three offices. We must firstly confess his name as his prophet. The Catechist says, so that I may as prophet confess his name. My first responsibility as a Christian is to reflect Christ into this lost and sinful world. We are to be like salt and light. So what was it about the early believers at Antioch that caused this nickname to be applied to them? The commentator John Stott suggested that it was because they were always speaking and witnessing about Jesus. That the name of Christ was scarcely off their lips. That's the thing about real Christians. They really want to talk about Christ. When we're converted, our conversation changes. There should be a marked change in the way we speak when we have been born again. If we're using bad language or crude language, if we're going to sexual innuendo in our speech, if our speech is riddled with blasphemy, how can we then at the same time witness to what the Lord has done in our lives, changing us when we haven't any appearance of being changed? So for me, the challenge is, what do I talk about? Do I talk about Jesus? Now, I know I talk a lot about doctrine. I talk quite a lot about Christian ethics. And I know that I talk about church, probably far too much. I know that when I visit the homes of Christian friends, I talk about their church or our church or the church in general. But how often do I talk about the Lord? Let us act as Christ's prophet declaring the will of God into this world. I must confess his name as his prophet. But I must also act as a priest, laying my life down for him, sacrificing my life to him. Catechist says, as priest, present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him. We're all priests, Christians. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5 says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So a Christian will delight in the commands of Christ. A Christian is someone who seeks to obey Christ out of thankfulness for what Christ has done for him or her on the cross. A Christian will lay down our life for him. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16 and verse 24, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. The Christian will walk in the ways of Christ. He'll partake in the sacraments of the church. He'll learn Christian doctrine. He'll pray and read the scriptures. A Christian will obey God's word, even when we are taught there the very opposite of what we learn from the influencers and the professors and the media of this world. That will affect our outward actions, and even, dare I say it, it will affect our appearance. 
Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I appeal to you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So my responsibility as a Christian is to be like Christ. And to do that, I need to confess his name as his prophet. I need to sacrifice myself to him as his priest. And then I need to wage warfare as a king. The Catechist says, and as king, fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life. As Christians, we have enemies. But be careful. Don't get the idea that our neighbours are our enemies. Despite all the antagonism against the Saviour and against his people and against his word, the people who dwell in this world are sinners who need to be saved. And as we learn from the conversion of Paul, even the very worst of sinners can be saved. So who's the enemy? The Catechist gives us two ideas. The first enemy is sin. The greatest enemy I have is within me. My greatest enemy is my own sinful, deceitful heart. We constantly wage a warfare within us. Now Paul speaks about this in Romans chapter 7 and verse 18. He says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. My greatest enemy is my own sinful, deceitful heart. But there is another enemy. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11 to 12, we're warned about the enemy of the soul, the devil. For Paul says there, put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. As a Christian, we will be engaged in this warfare. Warfare against the sin that's in my own life. Warfare against the devil. We will not stand on the sidelines and just cheer on others. We'll not act as commentators, pointing out and commenting on the warfare of others. We will be right there in the very thick of the fight. We will acquit ourselves well, not shirking, not avoiding the heat of the battle, but we will do battle with a good conscience freely, says the Catechist. These three offices of Christ, prophet, priest and king, are our offices too, as members of his body, the church, and they are how we will be Christ-like in this world.
These are difficult lessons for us. The word Christian is hated by the world, and so are those who openly bear that name. But we must bear that name. And whatever shame it carries with it. And with that name comes responsibilities. And those responsibilities will bring us into certain conflict with the world around us as we fulfil the offices of prophet, priest and king in the sight of those who live around us. As Christians, we live in a completely different culture from our friends and from our family and from our neighbours and we have different worldviews. So being a Christian is never going to be a bed of roses. It's the narrow road that leads to life. But we have something glorious in prospect. Our instructor in the Catechism reminds us that we will reign with Christ for all of eternity. He says that at the end of the answer, hereafter reign with him eternally over all creatures. Mark carefully how he words it. We will reign. That's reassuring. We know that we're going to have a mansion in heaven and we know that we will be reigning even if this world we are the most despised of people and we know that we will be reigning with a responsibility governing the world and everything that's in it. I honestly don't know what this is going to look like. But it's a wonderful thought that in heaven we will not be idle. We will be fulfilling the reason for our creation to work subduing nature as Adam did in paradise. Only this time it will never end. So like those early Christians in Antioch, Let us take upon us the name of Christ. Let us never be ashamed to be a Christian. Let us wear that name as a badge of honour, no matter what scorn the culture around us may heap upon us. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. Really appreciate the fact that so many of you listen in and learn the Catechism together along with me. If you'd like a copy of the Heidelberg Catechism and you live here in the United Kingdom or in the British Isles, there's one available for you free of charge. Copies have been purchased just for you and we can post one out again with free postage. If you'd like one, send an email to me, bobmcavoy at aol.com, bobmcavoy at aol.com, and just say, Hi Bob, send me a Heidelberg Catechism. Here's my address. We'll get it into the post for you right away. Thanks for listening. God bless you.